Welcome to Decrypted, the podcast where we analyze the most obscure elements of video game history and culture. I'm your host, Callum Dexter. Video games have become synonymous with technological development at this point. As years progress, games are expected to look better, perform better, and feel better to play, all with a greater emphasis on graphical improvements. But is that all innovation really boils down to? And what road bumps do we hit along the way? In today's episode, we're going to be discussing the video game crisis and the long-lasting impact it left on the video game scene with respect to innovation and game design, optimization and the video game standard, and what truly pushes the envelope. If you've been on the internet since the dawn of time, you might be aware of the Great Console Wars, a never-ending battle between three major gaming companies, Sony, aka PlayStation, Microsoft, aka Xbox, and Nintendo, aka Nintendo. Popular video game franchises were gaining even more ground than ever before at the turn of the century. The rapid improvement in graphics between pre-2000 era consoles and post-2000 era consoles was astonishing, which only pushed these companies to see who could outsell the other, a true space race of video gaming. Then 2007 hit, November 13th, 2007, the day when a million computers cried. That was the day when Crisis was released. Crisis was a game that was so graphically advanced that it practically melted wallets and graphics cards alike. It set a new bar for what could be done graphically, that is, if you could get it to run properly. Unfortunately, the game was so poorly optimized that even machines at the top of the market struggled to pull off a measly 30 FPS. The overwhelming majority of users found that they could barely get it to a playable state, with constant stuttering and in-game bugs being noted as the reoccurring problem. On the flip side, console-exclusive titles didn't really struggle with this issue to the scale that PC titles did. This was due to the games being optimized exclusively for each individual manufacturer. In other words, if you had the console and the game, it was more or less guaranteed to run properly and efficiently, unless something out of the ordinary occurred. But Crisis was a whole other beast in anything but ordinary. Since every PC is different, the game needs to be optimized to run correctly on many different arrangements of hardware. Therein lies the biggest problem with Crisis, optimization. In order for any game to run properly across a spectrum of devices, it needs to be conditioned as much as possible to ensure that it will run smoothly and efficiently. From the cheapest of the cheap to a water-cooled beast of a computer, the goal is getting the game to run, within reason of course. You aren't going to get Call of Duty to run on a toaster, but you might get it to run on a $200 laptop from 7 years ago if the developers optimized it for your machine's hardware well enough. Crisis ran on a variety of machines, but the recommended specs at the time of launch were considered to be insane, even by modern standards. It simply wasn't made for the average consumer. Crytek, the company behind Crisis, was making games for a very new and very niche market, PC gamers. They released Crisis not long after the incredible success of their main series, Far Cry, which sold around 2.5 million units, a number that helped put PC gaming on the map. So, of course, expectations were through the roof for the next big PC game, and Crisis was set to deliver. After all was said and done, Crisis would go on to sell approximately 3 million units, about 500,000 more than Far Cry. Critically, it went on to score 91 out of 100 on Metacritic, 9.5 out of 10 on GameSpot, and was received positively on IGN, and was scored highly by many other review sites. Now, as I was doing research for this episode, I noticed a pattern. Every single review, every single comment, and every single website mentioned one specific thing. Graphics. 
Crisis was visually stunning on great machines, and looked pretty good on lower-end machines, if you could get past the constant performance issues. But do you know what none of these critiques, discussions, or websites mention, if only for a fleeting moment? Storylines, characters, sound design, AI responsiveness, and, say it with me, optimization. Reviews, opinions, thoughts, and any critiques made towards the original Crisis game hone in on only one aspect of this game, how good it looks. Now, don't get me wrong, Crisis looked, and arguably still does look, really great. Facial animations were pretty well done, especially at the time of release, textures looked fantastic, and the world itself was pretty well made for the most part too. But ask any former Crisis player what was unique about the game other than the aforementioned, and they'll be at a loss for words. Characters aren't memorable, the storyline is pretty cookie cutter, and the gameplay itself is pretty boring. It honestly feels like your generic Halo clone, except you get to be in the jungle. That's it. Crisis's greatest success was also its biggest weakness, visuals. When the selling point of your game is jaw-dropping visuals, but most of your core audience can't even fork up the money to afford a system capable of running it, can you really even call your game an overall success? And despite the fact that Crisis itself was pretty forgettable, it still marked a very crucial turning point in the gaming community. Many began to question what the standard was for a AAA title. Was it cutting-edge graphics? A memorable plot with lovable characters? Replayability? What really pushes the envelope in the grand scheme of things? Crisis became the talk of the internet shortly after it debuted. Chatter began to arise regarding the high system requirements that the game needed to run. The saying, but can it run Crisis, became a reference to the aforementioned and eventually became satiric in form. Anytime after a new game was released, or a new GPU made its debut, or anything remotely related to computers happened, people would stop for a moment and say, this is cool, but can it run Crisis? Or only the best of the best can run Crisis. Or if my smart fridge can't run Crisis, then I don't want it. I'll stick with my toaster. The sentiment only grew in popularity as games progressed further visually. Additionally, developers were putting emphasis on ensuring that their games ran both beautifully and looked as such on as many devices as possible. Mass Effect 2, which came out in 2010, Metro 2033, also 2010, and Portal 2 in 2011, along with many others, continued to push boundaries visually, just as Crisis did in 2007. There was one key difference, though. These games weren't just solely focused on the visual aspect of video games like Crisis was. Incredible world building, memorable characters, and more detailed plots took center stage. With consoles beginning to catch up graphically by the turn of the decade, PC gaming needed to become known for more than just graphical performance with its exclusive titles, something that had become a trend following the incredible success of Crisis. Some will say that Crisis was very much a product of its time. It was released when PCs were becoming leaders in the market due to their potential for exceeding the graphical limitations set by their console-based contemporaries, so it's only natural they would prioritize high-quality graphics and stunning visuals over anything else. Others, myself included, will say that there were many other games that were released at the time that did what Crisis was trying to do but better with respect to innovation. Super Mario Galaxy, Bioshock, Call of Duty 4, Halo 3, God of War 2, and the original Portal were all released in the same year, 2007. In my eyes, these games were visually more impressive and felt a lot better to play, so the fact that Crisis struggled on nearly every system to even boot properly feels laughable in comparison. But without Crisis, I can't say for sure whether or not the games industry would have continued to progress as rapidly as it did. Crisis broke a lot of new ground, despite the game-breaking problems that it had. It was one of the first PC titles to seriously challenge consoles with respect to visuals, and it got a lot of people excited about the future of PC gaming. So, given how crucial Crisis was in the bigger picture, 
Is it still remembered today in that capacity? I would argue no, not at all. When most people think back on Crisis, the resounding sentiment is, oh, that looked kind of cool, but I never bought it. My PC wasn't good enough to run it. And on the flip side, when you ask someone what they think about Team Fortress 2 or Call of Duty, they'll probably tell you about how fun those games were to play on PC. These games ran well as a whole, they looked great, and they were pretty heavily rooted in their respective communities, and considered to be some of the best games to be released at the time. So when you compare Crisis to these titles, it feels like the impact it made was negligible. It's the potential that Crisis had that made it unique to gamers at the time. It's the risks that Crytek took in an attempt to put PC gaming on the map. Risk taking doesn't always work out, clearly, but it does challenge the notion of what we thought possible. Although it isn't remembered today as fondly as some of the PC classics, it still have paved the way for PC gaming as we know it today. So when I set out to make this episode, I really wanted to delve into what the standard for gaming was, and moreover, what groundbreaking is considered by many to be. Crisis had nowhere near the critical or financial success of games that were released alongside it, and yet it was hugely impactful on the games industry as a whole. There are games that I stumble upon to this day that continue to surprise me and surpass my expectations. Sometimes when you take a chance on a game that you might not have liked, it really pays off and you end up enjoying it. Games don't need to be envelope pushing to be considered high quality or fun, and games can also push the limit of what you thought possible while simultaneously being not fun at all. I think that for many of us, it all depends on the execution of the idea and the polish of the final product. So what really pushes the envelope then? I think the answer is that it's ultimately up to you. Innovation is, after all, within the eyes of the beholder. But if you say Crisis is better than Half-Life, we can't be friends and your opinion stinks. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, I just wanted to uh, say thank you so much for checking out this episode. Um, I know it took a while to come out, it's probably about a month or so now, but um, I uh, life got pretty busy for me and so I, I kind of had to prioritize some other things, but I'm back and uh, I'm hoping to have... I'm a bit more of a consistent schedule, hopefully every like, you know, two weeks or so, um, I'll drop a new episode, but yeah, I'm pretty proud of this one. Um, and honestly, it, it means a lot to me that you, uh, are sticking around to this point. <laughs> um, I remember in the last episode, I said that it was going to be like, you know, 15 minutes long. It didn't end up being like that. Um, but to be honest, I, I kind of made it that way. I, I like how long these episodes are, the 10 minute sort of podcast length I feel like works really well in this format and I mean you know I don't want to stretch it out if I don't have anything important that I want to say so um that's kind of all I really have to add to that uh thank you so much for again for checking out the podcast and um you can follow it on uh, Apple Music now it is officially up um just look up Decrypted and it should be there um the RSS feed, which is kind of like your your podcast sort of link, um, you can link it into anything that you want. Um, if you have a podcasting app that supports it, um, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts, like we're we're everywhere, man. We're spreading. So, um, yeah, if you have any uh, platforms you want this podcast to be added to, please let me know, and uh, we'll see you in episode three. Peace. <laughs>